Hello everyone, I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church, the show where we are relentlessly and faithfully devoted to recycling stale news about the Vatican and the Catholic Church you already know because it's already happened. Here's what we've got for you today. First, a pivotal week in the fight against clerical sexual abuse. Then, the Vatican's trial of the century against financial crime resumes. Third, a, a major eco-event takes place uh, in the Vatican today, ahead of the COP26 climate change summit in Glasgow next month. Fourth, three Swiss guards quit over the COVID vaccine. And finally, I have the key to peace in the Catholic Church, and you will be surprised to hear what that key actually is. That's what's waiting for you on the other side, so please stick around. All right. Well, listen, happy Monday to you. Monday, October 4th. This is the Feast of St. Francis. So, you know, have a special shout-out prayer for all those special Franciscans in your lives today. I hope you had a great weekend. Mine was pretty good. It was bookended by two big wins for La Roma. That's the soccer team here in Italy I cheer for, the, the soccer team of the city of Rome. I mean, there are actually two soccer teams in Rome, but in my opinion, the other one, Lazio, doesn't really count. So, uh, Rome won on the road uh, against a Ukrainian team in the European Conference League, 3 to nothing, And then, Sunday night, posted a 2-0 win uh, against Empoli in the Italian competition. So that's two consecutive games in which they've scored five goals, conceded none. All of this is hugely important because last week, it was just awful. Uh, we lost the, the what's what the Italians call the Derby, the crosstown rivalry uh, against Lazio, three to two. So, but we are now back on winning ways, and all is right with the world. And so, I am fundamentally a happy man. <laughs> Here's where we begin news-wise this week. This is shaping up as a pivotal week in the Vatican and the Church's fight against clerical sexual abuse. Arguably one of the most important since Pope Francis was elected in 2013. Three different things going on. One, Wednesday, we are expecting a verdict in a Vatican trial for clerical sexual abuse involving a pre-seminary, the pre-seminary of St. Pius X, which up until all of this became public was located on Vatican grounds. Now, a pre-seminary is a facility for younger males, usually middle school, high school age, who are considering a vocation to the Catholic priesthood. And this pre-seminary's claim to fame is that it supplied all of the altar boys for all of the papal masses and other liturgies in St. Peter's Basilica. Now, this is a pre-seminary that was founded by a religious order priest. However, this religious order priest lived and worked in the Diocese of Como, so it was technically sponsored by the Diocese of Como, but it was located on Vatican grounds. So one of the great mysteries that has surfaced in this trial is who is actually in charge uh, of this outfit? The Vatican has denied being in charge, the religious order has denied being in charge, and the Diocese of Como has denied being in charge. So in effect, there were too many cooks in the kitchen, and because of that, nobody was actually paying attention to what was being served up. Now, the, the, at the heart of this trial is the claim that an older pre-seminarian, but still a minor, a guy who was 17 at the time, 
by the name of Martinelli sexually molested, abused a younger pre-seminarian, and that that abuse was covered up by the priest, Monsignor Enrico Radice, who was the rector of the pre-seminary at the time. So the principal defendants are Martinelli, who is now a priest. He went on to be ordained and was serving happily in the Diocese of Como until all of this blew up. And Radice, uh, who is now priest emeritus, he's retired, but was at the time the rector uh, of this pre-seminary. Now, what makes this case unique is that the alleged abuse took place on Vatican grounds, and not 30 or 40 years ago, but five years ago, at a time when Francis was already Pope, and the alleged reforms on clerical sexual abuse were already in full swing. Now, during the course of the trial, the defense attempted to argue that there was a kind of sexualized environment inside the, sem- the pre-seminary in which the kinds of exchanges that are alleged to have occurred between Martinelli and his alleged victim were normal, routine. And basically, they're arguing that this was consensual uh, and therefore that there was no crime involved. That, by the way, is the defense position. Prosecutors, while conceding that there may have been a, a sexualized environment in the pre-seminary, are nevertheless arguing that in this case, there was coercion involved. The star witness for the prosecution, the ex-seminarian who claims to be the victim uh, of Martinelli, has, giving, has given shifting and at times contradictory versions of his testimony. Prosecution uh, would argue that's just what you would expect from a traumatized, scarred victim of abuse. The defense, of course, has tried to impugn the testimony. It's a horribly complicated case. We will see what the judges decide Wednesday morning. It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing for them. I mean, if they come down hard on Martinelli and Radice, there will be those who say that was a PR move more calculated to make the Vatican look tough than to serve the interest of justice. If they don't, then of course, victims groups, advocates, lawyers around the world will claim this is another instance of the Vatican taking care of its own. We'll see what happens. Meanwhile, also this week, we expect a report in France on clerical sexual abuse in the French church over the last several decades. Media reports indicate that report is going to conclude that there have been more than 10,000 victims in France, clerical sexual abuse over the last several decades, and more than 3,000 victims. Presumably, we will get details on those chapters of abuse. It is likely to generate a whirlwind of negative publicity for the French Catholic Church, probably also will stimulate new civil litigation that may lead to new payouts by the church to settle abuse claims, probably will encourage new victims to come forward. Now, what will likely be lost in the shuffle is that this report was not the result of a government commission. It was not the result of some independent entity deciding to go after the Catholic Church. But this was actually the French Catholic bishops deciding for themselves to commission an independent panel and to bring the truth to light. Now, that hardly excuses the sins of the church, but I think it does deserve to be mentioned along the way that all of the ugliness we are going to hear about this week is ugliness that has voluntarily been brought to light by the leaders of the French Catholic Church in the belief that the truth ultimately 
will set you free. Finally, there is another case, uh, this one stemming from Argentina, that may finish in the United Nations this week. A group of survivors of abuse, lawyers, advocates, are going to be in Geneva in front of the United Nations Tribunal in Geneva, arguing that it ought to take up the case, the so-called Provolo case from Argentina. This is a case involving a, an institute called the Provolo Institute, located in the Argentinian town of Luján, for deaf and hearing impaired children, where it emerges that a grotesque and heartbreaking pattern of abuse occurred over many years. Two priests, who were the principal abusers, have already been sentenced to more than 40 years in prison for their roles in this abuse. It is alleged, because this was a church-run institute, it is alleged that reports about this abuse first suffered in 2009, but were ignored or actively covered up by church leaders, and that one of the priests who, was, who has been sentenced to 44 years in prison, Nicolo, Nicola Corradi, an Italian national who was serving in Argentina, that after 2009, he actually bounced around in various assignments and was not called to account until criminal charges were filed by the state in 2019. Among the places Karate served was the Archdiocese of Buenos Aires, which was then under the leadership of Cardinal Archbishop Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the future Pope Francis. Now, these victims, their lawyers, in addition to stopping in Geneva to make their case before the UN, they're also coming to Rome. They've requested a meeting with Pope Francis. To date, no answer, no response to that request. We will see what happens. So on multiple fronts, big week uh, in the fight against clerical sexual abuse. It is also, shifting to our second story, a big week in the Pope's press for financial reform in the Vatican because his megatrial resumes this week. This is a trial in which, for the very first time in the history of the Catholic Church, a cardinal is being tried under the, the criminal law of the Vatican city-state. This is Italian Cardinal Angelo Becciu, who used to be basically the Pope's uh, chief of staff. He held the position of the sostituto, or the substitute, in the Secretary of State. That is the Pope's principal sort of day-to-day -day guy uh, in terms of making the trains run on time in the Vatican. Becciu, nine other individuals, and several corporate entities are charged with embezzlement, graft, misappropriation, and other forms of financial crime related to their roles in a controversial property deal in London. Basically, the Vatican Secretariat of State, that, which is the 800-pound gorilla in the Vatican, it's the department that pushes everybody else around and tells them what to do. The Secretary of State tried to use hundreds of millions of dollars collected from Peter's Pence, which is, you know, it's the collection taken around the world every year in which average Catholics are asked to donate. And they're usually told that their money is going to go to help the Pope, like, feed starving babies in Africa and do other good works. Instead, the Secretary of State tried to use that money to buy a warehouse in London, in the posh neighborhood of Chelsea, they were going to convert into luxury apartments. 
Uh, this deal went belly up because of Brexit and COVID and a number of other things. The Vatican was losing money. They tried to throw good money after bad. The whole thing blew up. And now it is the object uh, of this trial. Notably, however, there are a couple of officials who weren't indicted. Uh, one, Monsignor Alberto Perlasca, Italian Monsignor Alberto Perlasca, who was like the ringleader of this deal, but he has decided to flip and rat out his former buddy. So he's now the star prosecution witness. Going to be interesting to see how they can possibly avoid meeting out punishment on him while they're doing it to the people who were essentially acting on his instructions. The other, a much bigger fish, Italian Cardinal Pietro Parolin, because all those documents Bechu signed approving this deal, Parolin signed them too. And the question is, why is Bechu in the dock, but not Parolin? And trying to supply an answer to that question is going to be one of the big challenges of this trial. We will see how it plays out. All right, third. Today, a cross-section of leaders of more than 40 religious traditions assembled in the Vatican for a conference entitled Faith and Science, Looking Forward to COP26. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of The Simpsons. I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons. There was an episode of The Simpsons in which Lisa Simpson discovers some bones in a field that kind of look like the remains of an angel. This triggers a huge ferment. It, the whole thing ends in court, where Judge Snyder of The Simpsons issues a restraining order, ordering religion to stay 500 yards away from science at all times. Well, I can promise you that today in the Vatican, they were in flagrant defiance of that Simpsons restraining order because you had religious leaders and scientists together, they signed a joint declaration ahead of the looming COP26 UN summit on climate change in Glasgow, where Pope Francis is expected to attend. This appeal for action signed by the religious leaders demanded that the COP26 summit in Glasgow take strong measures to limit the annual rise in temperature to no more than 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial limits. They also demanded that wealthy nations, who are of course primarily responsible for the global rise in annual temperature, assist uh, impoverished nations in implementing their own anti-climate change measures and basically for them to bear their fair share of responsibility. How committed is Pope Francis to all of this? We'll consider that Pope Francis had a beautifully prepared speech for this meeting today in the Vatican, hitting all of the points covered in his famous eco-encyclical Laudato Si and bringing it forward to today's situation. Uh, Francis walked into this meeting, ordered that his speech be handed out, said you can, reach, you can read it whenever you want, but right now, let's get down to business. So the Pope obviously means business. You know, how much difference? this declaration will make in Glasgow remains to be seen. One footnote, this event today in the Vatican was co-sponsored by the British Embassy to the Holy See. It's under new leadership with its new ambassador, Christopher Trott, and Trott uh, obviously is hot to trot on the, the climate change issue. They were all in for this event. That, of course, is because Trott's boss, 
Prime Minister Boris Johnson, has invested a great deal of his own credibility in trying to produce a strong outcome in Glasgow. They, the UK is, of course, the host of this summit. And so both the Vatican and the Johnson administration have a great deal invested in trying to see that something dramatic and positive takes place in Glasgow. In Glasgow. All right. Uh, another story in the news this week. Three members of the fabled Swiss Guard, that's the, the core, the military core, Historically, it's basically a mercenary force whose mission is to protect the person of the Pope. They don't protect the Vatican. The Vatican has its gendarmes and other security forces to do that. The Swiss Guard's mission is to protect the person of the Pope, and that's it. They, there's actually an elaborate swearing-in ceremony every May where members of the Swiss Guards swear on, on oath before God to shed their own blood, to die in order to protect the Pope. Three members of the Corps, however, have decided not so much. They've decided to quit and abandon that oath, and the reason is because they don't want to take the COVID vaccine. The Vatican just adopted a requirement. First of all, if you want to even get into the Vatican, but beyond, certainly if you want to work there, you either have to be vaccinated or you have to be able to produce proof of a negative COVID test, and that has to be taken every 48 hours. It's about I don't know, 20 euro a pop to do that. And so functionally, this is a requirement to be vaccinated. And these three members of the Swiss Guard apparently said no. Their departures have been confirmed by a spokesman for the Swiss Guard. What we don't yet know uh, is what motivated that refusal, whether it was on religious grounds. There are, of course, some Catholics who object to the COVID vaccine because at a certain stage in the testing of these vaccines, Genetic material derived from aborted fetuses was employed, uh, even though the Vatican and the U.S. Bishops' Conference and other bishops' conferences have said that that cooperation in, in abortion is so remote and the good to be derived from taking the vaccine is so overwhelming that the right thing to do is get the shot. Some Catholics continue to object. You know, other people just think the vaccine may be unsafe, that maybe the, the whole thing was rushed, they're just not sure. In any event, we don't know what the motive for these Swiss guards was, but we do know they've quit. You know, to what extent that position is more widespread in the Vatican, we don't know. Pope Francis, Pope Francis uh, recently said in a press conference on his way back from Slovakia that it is only a very small group in the Vatican that is holding out. And that is what, what is needed with them is patient dialogue. <laughs> well, these three Swiss guards either decided they weren't interested in that patient dialogue or it wasn't offered to them. In any event, they're gone. Finally, I am going to float here and now a solution for the problem of polarization and acrimony in the Catholic Church. We all know that that problem exists. We all know it's getting worse. The question is, what do you do about it? And many things have been tried. You know, formal dialogue programs, moral exhortation, uh, any number of things, none of which appear to be putting much of a dent in the reality. Here's my solution. A number of years ago, Thomas Friedman floated a theory about world peace, which is known as the Golden Arches Rule. And basically what it states is that no two nations each of whom have a McDonald's restaurant, have ever gone to war against each other after they got their McDonald's. 
His basic point, of course, is that if you can achieve a certain level of economic and social stability, the kind of stability you need to get a McDonald's, then you're less interested in going to war. Even though you can find counterexamples. I mean, you know, India and Pakistan went to war in the same year that Friedman floated that rule. They both have McDonald's. But, but I mean, the basic point probably stands, right? All right, I've got a similar rule for the Catholic Church, and here's my rule. No two Catholics who have shared a plate of Bucatini al Amatriciana have ever dispatched nasty messages about one another on Twitter. I believe it to be true. Bucatini alla Matriciana is the signature pasta dish of the region around Rome. It involves a special cut of pork from the cheek of the pig. In Italian, the cheek is guancia, hence guanciale. Along with pecorino cheese, pepperoncino, which is a little bit of spicy hot pepper, and tomato sauce. And it is the dish. Anybody who has ever spent any time in Rome has, at one point or another in their life, had some Amatrichana. It is, I swear to you, it is the most spectacular thing you will ever taste in your life. To me, it is the Mount Olympus of cuisine. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, I, I pride myself on making a fairly mean version of Amatrichana myself. In any event, my point is that two Catholics who have set down over food, whether it's Amatrichana or anything else, but whether, when they've set down to break bread together, They've gotten no one, and I don't mean in one of these frenzied American lunches when you're in and out in 15 minutes. I mean a kind of classic Italian meal where you sit down and you're there for two or three hours. And they've, they've invested the time in getting to know one another, in understanding one another as people, in, in figuring out what makes the other tick. Two people who have been through that experience simply cannot demonize one another in the same way that people who have never met one another and know one another only as a kind of cardboard cutout of ideological positions they don't like, okay? That's a completely different dynamic. And so my solution for bringing peace to the Catholic Church, find ways, have Amatriciana dinners in your parish, in your home, in your diocese, Find, a, and if it's not Amatrachana, make whatever the local delicacy is. Although, frankly, I mean, you cannot do better than Amatrachana. But in any event, whatever it is, find opportunities to bring people together around a common table and get to know one another as individuals. You do that, and that doesn't mean your differences are going to magically dissolve. It doesn't mean our disagreements are going to go away. What it does mean is that we are going to see the people with whom we disagree as people and not simply as representatives of all that we abhor. And look, I don't know how to produce that on a mass scale, but I do know, at least on a micro level, I have never seen anything better in terms of bringing a kind of humanity to relationships in the church. So you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. It's Alan's Amatrachana rule. Try it, and I swear to you, you will find that it makes a world of difference. All right, that's our show for this week. Thank you for being with us. We will be here next Monday. In the meantime, I want you to carve out some time this week. Go on to the social media platform of your choice. Give us a like. Give us a retweet. Give us a thumbs up. Write a nice review of us. Do whatever you can. 
spread the gospel. Go forth and make disciples of all the nations. We want to bring this show to as many people as we possibly can. Also, you will find full coverage of everything we've talked about in the show on the Crux website. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com, your one-stop shopping destination for the best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism. While you're there, contribute to our, our annual fundraising appeal. We're not looking for much. Maybe what you'd spend this, this month on a couple cups of coffee or a sandwich, some takeout, whatever it is, any small amount helps underwrite that independence, which is our most precious commodity. For the next week, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will talk to you again soon.